0: Welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is episode number 38, recorded February 5th, 2013, Unfinished Business. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith and Unconditional Love Fellowship, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org or check out the new ministry website at unconditionallovefellowship.com. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to share with you yet further on this man, Barnabas, and what he had to say. And I want to, if I, I give a title, I don't usually give titles, but um, this would be Unfinished Business, because that was his greatest work, to finish And and I want you to see what that means. And I believe that it has something to say to every one of us. Okay, in Acts chapter 11 and in verse 20, we we have read this a number of times, but I wanted to get inside. It says, uh, and there were some of them, these were the, some of them were those who had been scattered by... Uh, the persecution executed by Saul of Tarsus, and and they scattered away from Jerusalem. And some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, began to speak to the Greeks also. That is, up until this time, they preached the gospel only to Jews and, and said that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, was for the Jews. But these people did something unheard of, unorthodox. They spoke to Greeks. They spoke, that is, to the general public, the world out there. And it says that as they did so, preaching the Lord Jesus, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. Uh, Good grief, what's happening in Antioch? These outsiders, Gentiles, are accepting Christ and they didn't become Jews first. What's happening? So they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. That's how we really get to know this chap when he goes to Antioch. And so he's, he's a Jew. And when he comes to Antioch, when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he, he, he saw Gentiles, outsiders, enjoying the salvation in Jesus the same as the Jews. And instead of questioning that and condemning the Gentiles for many of their practices that were very anti-Jewish, Instead, he saw the grace of God at work there and and such a movement of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, that, that he joins with the people at Antioch and he rejoiced. And then he began to encourage them, encourage them all, all of them, Jews and Gentiles, with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And some of your older translations has it um, to cleave to the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 24, what we've already looked at. He was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Okay, um, I, as I've said, Barnabas goes to Antioch and he sees the grace of God. I think most of us have had that experience of being in a situation where you literally see the grace of God. You see the lives of persons transformed and honestly you would have wondered whether that could have happened. You know you see somebody and there's somewhere subconscious in your flesh that says that person is too far gone. And then you see God at work and you see a transformation and you see persons who were hard-hearted folk who lived in legalism and they're rigid and the shape of their face is as rigid as their heart And they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you see them melt like an iceberg. And and I tell you, to see the grace of God, to to see God at work in a community, it it happens that uh, every day brings forth some new surprise. Uh, every day now as you meet with other believers, you're saying you wouldn't have believed what I saw happen last night. Have you ever been in anything like that? Um, New discoveries of who we are in Christ, new vistas, horizons open up uh, as we realize that we are in Christ and He is in us. New wonders and, of course, I'll call them glorious upsets because things that we thought were this is the way it is and then the holy spirit comes and we begin to see it's different and we start leaving things behind that we thought we'd never leave behind Um, ways of doing things i mean have you ever thought of this and this is just the tip of the iceberg but the jewish people uh, have but certainly they had back in bible days a, a very rigid code of law concerning what they ate and and much of that would not concern anybody too much i mean uh, i've never been tempted to eat an owl or or whatever you can read the whole lot in leviticus but the one creature that they were forbidden to eat was the pig Uh, the rest that they were forbidden really didn't upset anybody, but forbidden to eat the pig. I mean, pigs were the basic fare of the world in those days, and indeed today. Um, and, And these people, the Jewish people, were forbidden. They were forbidden to touch it. They were forbidden to be anywhere near it. I mean, the pig was the animal of abomination. Well... Here you have Gentiles, people of the world, coming in together with Jews and receiving and delighting in Jesus as Lord and eating ham sandwiches. Have you ever thought about that? The Jews would be horrified that these Gentiles ate forms of pig meat And the Gentiles couldn't see anything wrong with that. Well, that's another subject. But you see what's going on. I say glorious upsets. We're going to sit down and we're going to fellowship with people that we never thought we'd speak to before. He saw the grace of God on a personal level, but also on a social level, mingling of persons who had never mingled before. He sees the grace of God in Jews, who will receive these Gentiles? Sees the grace of God in Gentiles who, who are receiving Jesus Messiah without any prior understanding that the Jewish people had. Okay, I mean, we've got something really going on there. I suppose today, uh, in the parlance of the church, we would call it a revival. Um, not one of those made-up ones that you decide to have every spring and fall, but a real reviving, the, the life of God entering into the life of man. And Barnabas comes into that. Okay, what do we do now? I mean, the excitement level is out of sight. The, the enthusiasm people would pay if they could get people as enthusiastic as this. This is something that is going in a little while to attract the attention of the whole city of Antioch. And it was Antioch, the city, that first called believers Christians. Interesting title, because the word actually means little Christ's. And they they had heard what these people were saying and had come up with the fact, well, what you are saying is that you are little Christs. And so they called them Christianos, uh, little Christs. And and this, I mean, that's the situation there. But now, says Barnabas, okay, I rejoice with you. I see the grace of God, but now we settle in. For the long haul. I mean, what's happening here is only in some cases a few weeks old. In other cases, most a few months before he had come. And now he says we've got to settle in for the long haul. To take this experience that is so real that you're having. Real experience of God. and, And you're almost dizzy with delight. Now we have to turn that into everyday life. This experience of God in Jesus Christ must be turned into the daily grind. It has to move into the office and the home and the school. All the joys of life have got to now come within what you've experienced of Jesus, all the pressures of life. Now you've got to understand where th- this experience that you have fits in when life seems to be crushing you, all the opportunities of life, all the challenges of life, you see. Because experience, felt, <laughs> very real experience of God, is unfinished business until we move on to what Barnabas talked about. And what Barnabas talked about was not, shall I say, a big second experience or a deeper life. No, no, no. He simply said, okay, we, we, we've got the experience. We know this living Jesus. Now we've got to learn how to apply this in life, how do I live this 40 years from now? How do I live this when all hell breaks loose in Antioch? You say, how do you live this? And so he says, and, and we're, we're, he be, wait, what, he, when he came, he began to encourage them. Of course, he would do that. That's his nickname, and um, it's what he did. He had a way with that but he encouraged them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And what my New American Standard says there, resolute heart is a very good translation of the word. Some of your older translations says with purpose of heart. And the, the what, what it means, how can I put this in terms, I mean, it does mean purpose. It certainly means resolute heart. Um, but but the actual meaning of the word means to set forth. It's almost a public word. It's it's not something you do in secret. It's it's a public. Uh, that is, you're you're not ashamed of everybody knowing about it. It is the setting forth of an intention. It is making known this is my purpose in life, or as New American Standard Translation said, with resolute heart. It's, it's, um, it's a purpose set forth with resolve. That, that is, you've drawn a line in the sand, you've stepped over it, and you said that's the way it is. That's it. What this word today, it's actually used in the New Testament to uh, talk about the schedule of a ship that was leaving for Rome. And, and so um, it, it describes how the weather was bad and and then they finally got on way and, and their scheduled time of departure was, was made okay. Uh, that That's interesting. This word would be today used of an airline schedule or of a bus line schedule. That is, it will be leaving at such and such a time and we shall arrive in New York or Seattle at such and such a time. That That's what this word is. It's, it's an announced proposal. And, and without it, you've got disaster. Uh, I mean that. Uh, keeping to the idea of airline. I mean, if... Okay, when when I was in a certain part of Africa, um, I think it was Zambia, and um, I had got to get to Paris and from Paris to London and, and so on. And I, I came out of the bush. I had to get... I was 100 miles inside the jungle and had to come to Lusaka, the capital of Zambia and I was there an hour ahead of time for my flight and uh, there's no plane. I said, well, where's the plane? Uh, and they looked at me with the blink of an eye and said, the pilot wanted to leave early. <laughs> okay. And so my plane had would leave the next day. I almost had to camp out to make sure I caught the pilot when he felt like leaving. That that's an airline without a schedule. That's a life without a purpose. You see, it, it's that that's what this word means. It, it's not we're just going to drift somewhere. It's not going to be that we're going to take off if we feel like it. Uh, not take off when we feel like it, uh, we'll land whenever we happen to. No, there's a schedule. It's it's a public schedule. The world knows that if you arrive there 10 minutes after the schedule says they've left, they'll have left. So that that's what this word means. It also would be used of a business proposal that you lay up this is what we're going to do. And if that's what you're going to do, the persons that you are sharing it with expect you to do it. It's a it's a purpose, that that's this word. And it's got in it the definite idea, which is captured in my translation as a resolve. there's and there's nothing iffy about it. There's nothing drifting here we are moving. In fact, this word is used of God Himself. The triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are described in the Scripture with an eternal purpose. In fact, if you're familiar with the Scripture, you will have read that, especially in the New Testament. The eternal purpose of God. Um, In the prophet Isaiah, he speaks about the purpose of God quite strongly. That eternal purpose, that is, it was a purpose that was there before creation, before the clock started ticking, and it will be after this creation has been turned into the new heaven and the new earth. It's it's a purpose, and it's the resolution of God's own heart, and that is His resolve his, shall I dare to say it, his business proposal as he is going to create is that you and I, please hear me, this was his purpose, that you and I, the human being, should be joined to him. God the Son would take our humanity, our human stuff and become one with us to the point where he's an authentic human he has joined the human race and calls us brothers and joins us into him he's one with us and because he's god he he includes all of us in this and and, and he carries us through death resurrection That's the purpose of God. Read Ephesians, read, read Colossians. It speaks of this purpose. Read Titus. It speaks of this purpose. This is the why behind creation. Barnabas is telling these people then, in effect, they've got to have this purpose. And it's a purpose... Where, how can I put it, they, they purpose, the, the believers of Antioch, they purpose to yield to and pursue and make central to their life the purpose of God. They are purposing with God's purpose. They are resolving with God's resolution. They are saying amen to the reason God created us and that amen is that Jesus Christ is my life. It, it means they're going to think his thoughts. We think God's thoughts with him as they're revealed in Scripture. It, we, we think God's thoughts concerning Jesus. It, we, we, we do not think of Jesus as humans think of him. I mean, regular outsider humans who just say he's a good man, he's a great philosopher, uh, and all that rubbish. No, we, we, we think God's thoughts. We, we think the thought where the Father says, You are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. That, yes, that's, that's how we think of him. We think of him as the Son of God, revealed as such in the resurrection. Yes, uh, that, that, that's Jesus. He's, he is the purpose of God, but then we think God's thoughts about us. Have you thought about that? God, what, what does God think about you right now? Well, if if we have this purpose, we think God's thoughts about us, as opposed to my own flesh thoughts about me, which are always. Uh, putting me down in some way or another or Satan's thoughts which are always accusing us. No, we think God's thoughts and we hear the Spirit say that we are the children of God and we hear the delight of the Father in us and so on. We, We have faith in His faithfulness that He who began the good work in you will perform it. It's His purpose. This is... This is God's goal, plainly set forth in Scripture and finally in Jesus. And it's now the goal of believers. And and so with purpose, with purpose. Um, I, I tell you, you, you have an illustration of this with Ruth. Do you remember Ruth, that little tiny book after the book of Judges in the Old Testament? And do you remember she was a Moabite? That is a non-Israelite. And um, she comes with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they come to the edge of Israel. There's the border between Moab and Israel, and, and Naomi says, go home, I've got nothing for you, you're a stranger here, you're... And, and Ruth says those, those unbelievable words, where you go, I go, where you dwell, I dwell, and so on, that, that we are absolutely one and you cannot shake me off. It is my resolve to become part of the people of God. You see, without this, and let's be very frank about it, however glorious this is that Barnabas saw in Antioch, However real it was, it's unfinished business because it's we are almost blinded by the light that is shining upon us. And I'm in no way downplaying the experience. I am a... Person of experience. I want to experience God. I want you to experience God. I believe the nerve endings of my body were given to experience the presence of God. I'm all for that. But there's a danger there if you stay there. You say, you have a new experience. The glory of God embraces you. in your bedroom, in the car, unexpected. Someone laid hands on you and all heaven broke loose. The danger, the danger is that that experience with its feelings and all that goes with it becomes an end in itself. That is your, your idea of living this life in Christ is to repeat that experience and after a while you get tired of that experience if you and by this time it is becoming fleshy you you are working it up you're trying to make it happen and, and then you've got to have something more a bigger experience and then and after a while you've totally forgotten <laughs> that that it was the lord himself the experiences were just by the way uh it was he himself now you've forgotten him and, and and all you want is to repeat the experience and and so really you're on now a pursuit of emotional feeling and then what you have what started as this incredible glorious thing you you have gotten into a, a mire a swamp uh, It's just now become a fad, a whim. You've forgotten why it all happened. That's the danger of it. I saw this so much back in the 1960s in what was a genuine great renewal of the Spirit, but people forgot it was the Holy Spirit they were seeking and now they only want the expressions and the feelings. Feelings? that are in God's hands. And you'll have the feelings, but not all the time. It's, this has got to be worked in. What? What have I discovered? Who have I discovered? What has truly happened beyond all the experience of it? What? what? This has got to be worked in to me. Worked in. And then it's got to be worked out in life. And so he says... Um, that, that it is uh, with resolve and began to encourage them with resolute heart. Resolute heart. Heart. Uh, there's a good reason it says that. Resolute heart. Or the more older translations with purpose of heart. Got to get heart in there. It's a radical change of heart. You see, out of my heart are the issues of life. My real life doesn't come out of my feelings because my feelings, well, they're they're as guaranteed as the weather. Um, Feelings, they they come and go with the rise and fall of hormones. Feelings, if if you're going to judge me on my feelings, I'm up, down, and roundabout, but we live this life from our heart and there is the resolution the purpose to purpose god's purpose resolution of heart for the scripture says in proverbs out of the heart are the issues of life that that's where we live from our heart it speaks in the new testament as the inner man and that's where it says the holy spirit dwells and empowers us and david Um, who knew his share of experience, good and bad. But but he he said in more than one psalm, my heart is fixed. That is, you might have a tsunami going on around you, but my heart is fixed. A resolute heart. It's there. That's the center of my will. That that's the centre where I look at I and say me. This is where my purposes are. You know, I've heard people say, and I, I'm, they're they're sincere, but they're, they're they're producing a dangerous situation. They they say, why don't you try Jesus? Try Jesus, as if he's a new drink at Sonic. I mean. Uh, Try, Jesus, give him a go, you know, see if it works. No, this is a matter of heart. That's where repentance, the total rethinking of life takes place. In heart, in intention. So what Barnabas is doing here, he is encouraging them to recognize it's time to walk on the path to maturity. Or or put it like this, at a baby's birth, uh, leading up to it, and certainly the day of the birth, there, there is so much excitement. I mean, men that are hard, unemotional, when they hear that their child has been born or if they're there and see it happen, you'll, you'll see tears coursing down their cheeks. Excitement, you'll hear laughter. People will fling their arms around the other and hug them and congratulate. Babies born, there'll be balloons, pink ones, blue ones, celebration. Hand out the cigars, I mean it's great. Day of the birth. Peter's off. Second, third day. By the time you take baby home uh, the balloons essentially have gone flat. Now it's up all night with crying baby and it's feeding child. And then it moves on to terrible twos of saying, no, this is the way. And what, what are you doing? You have here the gift of life, which causes genuine, real, authentic excitement to the max. But that gift of life, we've now got to make a human being, a full human being, a mature human being, a civilized human being. And that's what Barnabas is saying. He's not saying the excitement's over. You'll never get over that. There will always be. I still, after 60 plus years of preaching this, I still get goosebumps to say it. Oh yes, yes. But we've got to realize that the life within us is not just feeling an emotion. It is bringing that life into my 24-7 life. And it is aligning my regular daily life to this life who is Jesus Christ. So with resolution, through hell and through flood, let it be known. That this is my posted schedule. Christ is my life. That's it. And the way he puts it here, as I said in your older translation, he says he encourages them um, with this resolution of heart to cleave to the Lord. And this translation I have is to remain true to the Lord. And if you have my translation, New American Standard, you will notice that the word true is in italics, which means the translators put that in there to make sense, well, I wish they hadn't done that because it 's not part of the Greek words there the word remain that's that 's the word uh, leave out the true if you you're reading this one, or that word i 'll get to it in a moment. cleave to the Lord the actual word that is used there, which is translated here as remain um it, it's made up in the Greek language of two words. It's pros meno. And, and pros, that that means huh, almost what I've just been saying, not quite. But it means a deliberate resolve as one moves toward a definite goal. Pros, that's the first word that makes up this big word of two words. Um It's a deliberate result that is moving me. It's a moving word, moving. I am moving toward a definite goal. Well, that goal has been set. That's the purpose. But now I am moving toward that. And what is the goal I'm moving toward? And the word in the Greek, the second word within this one word is meno. And that means to remain. Remain. Or to stay. And it is translated so many times in John's Gospel and John's letters as abide. Yes. Do you remember when Jesus said, Abide in me? I abide in you. Remember that? Well, that's half of this word that he's using here. Um, you could say that he encouraged them to to have a purpose in which they, with all energy, moved toward and continued to move toward abiding. That, that's what the word means. Which abiding means to stay in a place or to stay rooted in a certain state, state in the sense of a state of mind, a state of my spirit. It means to remain, to stay, abide in a relationship. Or it means to stay, make your home in a certain truth. All, all of these words uh, we, we have come to see the truth that it is in Jesus. He said, Remain there. Put your stakes down. This is now your home for life and forever. This is the truth. You have come to know Him. Well, stake it down. This is how you live every day of your life. This has got to be worked into your office, in your factory, in your school. This is going to be worked into your entire home situation. The, 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 stay there, remain there, be unbudgeable, immovable. That you, you've you've entered into a new state, a very new world. Well, learn learn to stay there. It, it's the kind of thing people would had their experiences of God when they're in church or in a home prayer meeting or something, and then they leave that. I mean, that's not true. I, I cannot leave him. He 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 never leaves me. But sometimes I I go into a new gear in my mind as if that only happens in church. That only happens when I'm with other believers. Now I go back to work as usual. No, you don't. You see, he's saying, remain there. This is your state of life now. This this is how you do everything. Everything happens within this. Remain faithful. Remain. When, When there's opposition, when it seems all the world and your very flesh itself says no to your remaining, you remain. You stand. Uh, Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 6, when when speaking of when Satan, the evil day, hurls his worst against you, and and he says, in that day, stand, and having done all, stand. Okay. And and I've already used that. It, it, It speaks of home. Home is where you abide. In fact, in... Old English, we would call our home our abode. That's where you live. It's where you remain. And even when uh, one would go off on a trip, you know where your anchor is. You know that you haven't switched houses and homes to the motel room. You know that. You, You know that though you're in a motel room, your heart Your anchor, your belonging is in that place you call home and to there you will return. It's home, it's your anchor. Okay, that's this this word. That's this word that Barnabas used. That that this which is right now exciting you. Now, now don't, don't necessarily lose the excitement. That's not the point of the verse. But it is to now... Come down into your heart, come to your center, get into the engine room of your life and recognize this is where you live now. And therefore all of your life has got to be aligned to the truth that you're now seeing. I said I would get to that word cleave. It's a, I, I get to it because um, it's an interesting word. And, of course, it's not part of our regular English today, so they dropped out that word and replaced it, very correctly, with remain. But cleave, it's an Old Testament word, and I believe that it's used here with a a hark back to the Old Testament. And and, um, it was... Jesus brought this word into its fullest meaning when he, he said to abide in him and he in us. But that they had a, a, an idea of it in the Old Testament, which I'll throw in because it's interesting. Do you know the very first time that word was used in the Old Testament? Boy, it's early. Genesis chapter 2. And it, it was at the institution of marriage when the Lord took the rib of Adam and fashioned Eve, and then presented Eve to Adam. And then it says that she is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and for that reason a man shall leave his father and mother, leave his home, and he shall cleave to his wife. And that's the word that they translate this word with in earlier translations, uh, cleave. The word then means, A, it's used of marriage. And deeper than that, what was truly happening there, what is marriage, it's a covenant. And so this word actually has its ultimate roots down in a covenant where two people, two parties, become one without becoming each other. So one plus one equals one. And and it, it carries us into the greater world where God has entered into covenant with us. And that which is even greater than marriage has taken place and we are joined, joined together. That's the meaning of the word cleave. We, we, we are joined together and we are two but we act in harmony and unison as one. The word is also used throughout the Old Testament, rather interestingly, as to stick I mean, like as in glue, or to adhere to. And so it says um, that when a person is thirsty, their their tongue sticks to the roof of their mouth and uses this word. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very old way of saying it, but we're stuck to God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's a nice feeling, isn't it? Um, and and it, back in Joshua twenty-two 22.5, they use that in a similar way, that he, he's saying, okay, we've conquered the land, we, we've settled now, cleave to the Lord, hold fast to him. That, that's the idea. And so however you look at this word, it's got in it the idea of continuation. Continuation. In this covenant union, And, of course, they're not speaking about a place. They're not speaking about a home that's made of bricks, not a three-dimensional place, but cleave to the Lord or remain in the Lord. Speaking about this relationship, this is really behind that phrase that Paul uses all the time, in Christ. Do you realize your life now is in the sphere of a person you You live your physical life in the sphere of a house and the sphere of the persons in that house. Do you know what I mean that you You open the door, you walk in, and now you are in this what 's the word atmosphere I like sphere i don 't know if that makes sense to you It's a dimension. It's there's a certain energy there. This is your home, and there are certain persons, predictable persons, in that home, and they all have their place. This is your three dimensional physical, mental, emotional, spirit life. But that home is part of something greater, for you are in Christ. Your real home, that your home is included into. Your home is the ultimate person, Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, and I've been saying it for the last 10 minutes, but let me actually read it in the light of this word. Jesus said, um, abide in me. I in you, and he's talking of I am the vine, you are the branches. I mean, think about it. He is saying, remain in me. Settle down. I am your home. Abide in me. Remain in me. Put your stakes down in me. And I in you. That gives me experience, goosebumps. God in Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, abides, remains in me. He's made me his home. And he's made you his home. So we are stones together, the home of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do you know who you are? And and, and he goes on, um, Talking about the fruit that we bear because of that. Um, then in verse seven, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish; it shall be done for you. He said, "Make your home in me. I make my home in you. Let my words be at, Let my words be like the breath in your body. Let my word be like the blood flow through your veins. At home." at home well i i could read a lot there as you well know this i think here's something else you see what that danger i spoke of is because we tend to we can move to move away from trusting in resting in believing in Jesus Christ the Lord, and we move and start believing in the experience that we have of Him. And that, that that's the danger, you see. And, and so often we, you know, something happened when we began to do this, that, or the other. I mean, people have said their lives were changed when they took us portion of their day and just gave it to worship or gave it to prayer. Um, yeah. But please understand that whatever method the Holy Spirit may use, you don't believe in the method. You believe in the Lord. I, I've, I've spoken to many people who, um, you know, they, they're talking about healing and they they say it's got to be a miracle we'll hold it Do, don't don't start believing in one of his methods and one of his methods is a miracle but also sometimes his healings are gradual and they are healings at other times he uses human beings with healing i mean i i have to say healing gifts they 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 are not in the order of gifts of the Spirit, but they know how to heal your human body. And I thank God for those persons. You see, doctors, uh, we trust in Jesus, not in a method that he might use. And so he, the, the last time the Holy Spirit filled you, you, you were overwhelmed with joy. Well, don't 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 mistake the overwhelm with joy with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the next time it might be different, but you'll still be filled to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And and, and so it is that. Um, we, we, we've got a zero. We, re, we remain in this relationship with him. We always come back to that. And sometimes there are feelings and sometimes there are not. And sometimes the, the feelings we had last time are completely absent. But that's neither him nor there. That's just, we don't trust those feelings. We don't trust the experience as being that's it. It's just something that was because of our walk with Jesus. And it's that walk with Jesus. It's coming back to remain in Him. We abide in Him. You see what I mean? I hope you do. And this begins, if we're going strictly to what happened in the first hundreds of years of the New Testament, began a baptism, when a person in a symbol that conveyed what it symbolized would step into the water, bid farewell to the world, and as they were plunged into the water, knew that they were co-crucified with Christ and brought out of the water, co-resurrected with Christ, stepped out of the water, and they would pour oil on their head and pray they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they would walk away from that in a new sphere of life, a new dimension, And they would put down their stakes. That's where they lived. That's who they were. And for that, tens and tens of thousands of them died as martyrs because that's who they were. And if the world wants to kill, that's who they are. They'll have to do it. Um, and, And that moment in baptism was continued Uh, like in Romans 6, which, of course, talks about baptism. uh, But it says, let not sin have dominion over you. Yes, in this new dimension, you're not the plaything of sin. Um, and, And you turn upon old lifestyles and behaviors. So in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, it says, put off Put it. Off. it the, these behaviors of bitterness and anger and malice and gossip and slander and all the rest there, it lists them in Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. Put them off. And the word in the Greek language is so strong, it means to pick it like a filthy garment that's vermin-ridden, hopping with fleas, and you fling it from you. Put it off. Good grief. How could I ever have worn this? Yes, that's abiding. That's you, 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 you. Jesus Christ is my life. And so I put on Christ is a word from these epistles, which doesn't mean um, that you sort of pick up Jesus and put him on like a, a coat. It, it means you become who you truly are. And those behaviors just have to go. They are inconsistent with who I am in Christ. So I. I I'm I'm laying down the foundations of a life that is lived in the dimension. Or as Philippians 2.12 says it, you you know that scripture, so work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. The, The expression there, work out, actually is a farmer's word in the original language. It means bring it to harvest. That is, the farmer plants the seed and now he must do whatever is necessary to bring it to harvest. So Paul is saying, work out your salvation. He's saying, bring your salvation to harvest. Put off everything that is distracting. Put away from you everything that would smother it and call forth Call forth, uh, let your salvation grow and take on your whole life and move into every area of life. Work out your salvation. Work it out. This is this is your life. It's not just something you put on the shelf and say that happened once. Like I met so often dear people in churches where they do believe in an experience of the Holy Spirit, but they, they look at it as that. It happened once. I met a man and I he said I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit forty years ago. <laughs> well that's it's like going to the Smithsonian. I I'm not interested in what happened forty years ago. What about right now, you see? And, and and so we put off all these things that belong to the old life. They don't they're not me anymore. That's why I can put them off. And I put on I, I Assume to myself the behaviors that are indeed me, Christ living in me. And Paul said you can do this because it is God, God the Holy Spirit, who is working in you. And that word work is energia, the mighty energy of God love works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. We abide. And it's by the Holy Spirit we do this. Uh, I don't have time to go into it, but in, you can look at it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. And it speaks of, uh, we abide in him, he abides in us. And then he goes on, we know this because of the Spirit who is within us. It's the Holy Spirit that makes this happen. Uh, and so we, we, do, we do this with, with announced intention we we recognize we it's the old word that was used in the church since forever our confession the confession of our faith that is the stating together with god i say about me i say about him i say about life what god is saying and that that's my schedule this is this is who i am this is where i'm going and and it's it's the total movement of my being to abide in him, to remain in this. And I say again, in that you will have many experiences. Just don't make your Christian life, or don't define your Christian life by the experience. Enjoy the experience. But you are remaining in Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is in the Father. You are in Christ, in God. And there are times when you don't feel a thing. You just remain in him and know that he cannot fail. He's remaining in you. Oh yeah, there is warfare to this. You know, there are thoughts that spontaneously arise within us. There are thoughts that come from the outside, Satan shooting, arrows blazing with deadly fire right into our brain. Uh, and, and we have thoughts. they just come to us, and, and he shoots them into our feelings, too, and sometimes we, we feel terribly. We wonder where they came from. Um, just spontaneous. And, and if you don't know what's going on, you'll blame yourself. At other times, you have feelings that this whole thing that we're talking about is just a fairy tale, it's fantasy. And at such times, you anchor down into who you truly are, beyond feelings in your very heart, and you declare the truth. You declare it. You, you declare that it bees, it is. And so you grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, as they did in Antioch, to the point where people looked at them and said they are little Christs. Well, I think I'm done for tonight, but I, I really pray that you, you may hear what I'm seeking to share with you, and, and settle in for the long haul. This is not a fad. It's not a whim. It's not a feeling that passes through you. It is the presence of Jesus Christ dwelling in you. His home is in you through the Holy Spirit. And if He is in you, the Father is in you. And if you are in Him, you are in the Father. You're all wrapped up in the Holy Trinity. What a life! What a life! Another blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, his blessing, his enlightenment, his revelation within you, his embrace of love, be with you this night, this week, and forevermore. So I bless you, and so it is. Amen.